Good morning. Can we give it up for our mom's worship team? That was awesome. You can be seated. So my mom passed away about 14 and a half years ago, and my dad about a couple years after her. And when my dad died, I was the executor of their estate, so went down to Florida, took care of all their stuff. And I came across two diaries that my mom had been writing when, when she was alive. Well, she couldn't do it when she passed away. She's in heaven. She's got a great diary now, but anyway. <laughs> and so she, for, I don't know, probably maybe about four or five years, she would sporadically write in this diary. And it's, it's a treasure because I wasn't all that close to my, my, my family was a, my mom and dad were Christian. We were, we, they stayed, uh, we had, I had a great family, but I just wasn't close to my family. I was out as soon as I could. So to read the things that she wrote, uh, was just really a, uh, a fun, meaningful thing for me. In fact, I, when my son and his, his uh, wife moved down to Texas, uh, I have never known that kind of, like, pain before. Because you know, they're taking our grandson. And, I, I, and, and then I started thinking, you know, when I left New York with my mom and dad, I didn't even think about what they would feel. And, and I really hadn't really thought about it until three years ago when our son moved down. I started thinking, I wonder what my mom felt about that. And she actually was writing the diary during that time. And come to find out that she had been crying a few days and all that. And I thought, wow, I missed, I missed out. And so anyway, that, that's just my memory from my mom. Now, my, my wife, Charlotte, is going to come up and wants to pray for the moms. And in doing that, we also want to update you on our son. So Charlotte, come on, let's give it up for my beautiful wife, Charlotte. Yeah. Okay, so you've been praying, and we really appreciate that. In fact, we're finding out that people are praying across the United States. I don't even know if it's the world for our son, Marcus. If you don't know what happened, our son, Marcus, is 25. He's been a prodigal for a few years. He has a drug addiction. He's been on the streets. He was on the streets in Seattle here. Uh, he then went down to the San Francisco area and has been on the streets there for, what has it been, a year and a half or so. We had no contact with him, really. And Charlotte was in Texas about two and a half week, or two weeks ago, she gets a call from a hospital in San Jose. Our son is there. They, a, a week before they call, finally got in touch with her, he had been hit by a U-Haul truck. He was on a, on a Razor scooter on the streets. He got hit by a truck. He was high on drugs. So they took him to the hospital. They didn't know who he was, no ID. They fingerprinted him, and then through Social Security and the prison system, they found us. Charlotte called her. So we got this call a week later. He was in intensive care, stable but intensive care. They had to take part of his, his skull off. So it was because his brain had been so, um, and it still is. But since then, a lot of you have been praying, and we really appreciate that. And what we're hearing from the hospital now, Charlotte's going to go down tomorrow to the hospital just for one day to get uh, contact and get him on Medi-Cal and Cal and some things like that that he needs because as the hospital wants to get some money out of the thing. <laughs> but right now, so she's going down there. But you guys have been praying, and the hospital told us he's made significant progress. And so we are really thankful. I, I know that's a direct answer to a lot of you guys praying for him. And so he has, he's come along. He's now uh, out. Uh, well, you should tell him. You, you got the details better than I do. Okay, so um, he, they were able to take out his breathing tube on Thursday, and he's breathing on his own. And um, then my brother and sister-in-law who live in Washington, D.C., were flying to California to see their kids in Northern California, and they stopped by and saw him yesterday. And um, they, he's still heavily sedated because every time they uh, lower his sedation, he tries to get up and leave, But um, and which they said is kind of a normal thing for this kind of brain um, trauma. trauma. Um, but uh, he, as soon as they, uh, they were hoping to have him, you know, be a little more aware of what was going on. So they lowered his um, sedation a little, and he, has, he opened his eyes immediately. And they, uh, the nurse was asking him what his name was, and he can say his name. It's a little bit garbled, but they can tell that's what he's saying. Um, and uh, he was also able to say his birthday, what date he was born. So there's some encouraging signs. He still has, uh, obviously, a long way to go, but he... Um, 
he didn't have mercifully any other, I mean, his head injury is bad enough, but no other broken bones, no internal bleeding, that they, you know, they did a full body scan on him when he came into the hospital and uh, they can't see anything. There may be some, you know, small things in his bones that they can't see, but he's definitely moving his arms and legs because he, if he isn't sedated, he kind of fights with them. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, he, so we, d like Kevin said, we really appreciate your prayers. And um, our main concern for him is his spiritual condition. So um, we do want the Lord to heal his body for sure. But our main concern is that he would surrender his life to Jesus. So, um, anyway, I just want to um, thank you all and just say, uh, Bless you, moms, for all the amazing things that you do for your kids all the time, faithfully, regularly, and loving them, serving them, serving your families the way that you do. And um, my, again, main encouragement to you would be, no matter what their ages are, that you're praying for them, because the main thing is that they know Jesus. We all want our kids to be, you know, successful in the world's eyes. But the Bible says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? So I know that as believers and moms that we, that's what our hearts cry is for our kids. So just keep praying for them. God knows where they are. He knows what they're doing. He loves them more than we ever could. But we just need to keep praying for them. So, anyway, I'll pray for the moms. <laughs> Father, thanks for your love for us. Yes, thanks Lord. you sent Jesus to die for us so that we could have a relationship with you through the shed blood and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yes, Lord. And we thank you that you love our kids. Yes. And that you want them to know you and to love mm -hmm. you as well. You are their creator. You, your word says that you knit them together in, in our wombs, in their mother's wombs. Yes. That we're all created and designed for a purpose. And that purpose is to know you and to love you yes. and to serve you and to bring glory to your name. And we desire that for all our kids. So we pray that you would bring circumstances and situations and people into their lives that would draw them to you. Yes, God. No matter what their ages are. And the younger the age, the better. And that they would serve you and love you their entire lives, yes. Lord. And I pray for the moms here that you would strengthen them. Encourage them in the work that they do every single day, day in and day out. To serve their families, to serve their kids. I pray that you would strengthen them and just surround them with your presence and love, that yes. they would know that you're there with them and that you are guiding and directing them. And let's pray that they would seek you and your face to be able to yes. minister their kids individually and uniquely for each child. And um, yeah, thank you for them. And I pray that you give them all a great day today. Yes. In Jesus' name, And amen. Lord, I want to also add to that, we just stand together as a church a lot of heart, heartache, a lot of pain sometimes for some moms here. We know that, Lord. So we are praying that you would comfort, bring a strengthening, as Charlotte was praying, a strengthening to their hearts and minds. And Lord, you are our strong tower. We run into you and are safe. We may not understand, Lord, but we are praying that you would be that today, particularly. For those that are really having a hard time, for whatever reason it might be, as moms, we know, Lord, that you are the God who, of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulation. So we're, we're, we're praying, Lord, please make today a special day for each and every mom. Please. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Okay, we're going to be in Acts 14. If you get your Bibles out and your tablets or whatever it might be, and I'm actually going to begin 
in a minute in chapter 13. So chapter 13 and 14 is the first missionary journey of what I believe are four in the book of Acts. Now, the first one is about a year and a half. So Paul is taking this missionary journey with Barnabas. Before I get into that, though, I want to review a little bit on this series that we're doing called Seeking and Saving. Because our God is a seeking and saving God. Can I hear an amen on that again? He's the one who seeks and saves. Jesus said he came to seek and save that which was lost. Some of the most powerful parables that Jesus told are about seeking and saving lost things, whether it's a sheep, a coin, or a soul. So in the book of Acts, we're doing 28 studies through 28 chapters. So today we're on chapter 14. Next week we'll be on Acts 15, so I hope you'll read ahead. But as this series unfolds, in chapter 9, this whole thing of seeking and saving, we looked at the conversion of a soul, a name, and a story. Every person that we come into contact to has a name and has a story, and God died for every one of them. Then we looked at there's no partiality with God. God does not grade on a curve. He doesn't grade on what we look like. He grades as he sees us with, it, with no partiality. Then we looked in Acts chapter 11 at seeing the grace of God. Now, as we go out into this world, first and foremost, we have to be strong in the grace that God has given to us. As we see the grace in our lives, we have grace for others. When we fall short of the grace of God in our lives, we will fall short of the grace for other people. In Hebrews, it talks about a bitterness coming because of that. Beware lest you fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up defiles many. You see, we need to be strong and see the grace of God for us and then also as God has given it through Jesus Christ for all those, again, that we come into contact with. Verse, uh, chapter 12, we talked about keep praying church. Last week, we looked at getting out there church. So this morning, we're at Acts 14, and I'm titling it, Don't Stop, Keep Going. And we'll look at a few things in a moment. But look at Acts chapter 13, verse 2. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them, which is this first missionary journey, a specific work we're going to find at the end of the chapter that they completed the work. So there be, the Holy Spirit is separating them out for a special work. And listen, the Holy Spirit has separated each one of us as believers out for a special, unique work because we are special and uniquely created. So then it says, verse 3, Then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them, and then they sent them away. Verse 4, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit... They went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Again, it's the Holy Spirit in the believer's life that is the sender. Wherever we're going, the Holy Spirit is in our lives as the sender. So the Holy Spirit said, the Holy Spirit separated, the Holy Spirit sent out, and every day you can get up assured of this, the Holy Spirit is sending you out, and then it says, from there they sailed. So I say foundational to our interaction in the world is to really understand and know and believe that the Holy Spirit speaks, the Holy Spirit separates, and the Holy Spirit sends us out empowered to be his witnesses. Now, the first missionary journey, as I said, it took about a year and a half. Let's look at a map again just so you can keep this a little bit in your mind as we go through this. So this is a map of the first missionary journey. They started in Antioch in Syria. They, they went to Cyprus, crossed the island of Cyprus, went up to Italia here in Perga. From there, they went up to Antioch, and that's chapter 13, that little thing. And by the way, they went about 700 miles land and about 500 miles on the sea in this first missionary journey. Then, this morning, we get into Acts 14, and they're going to go to Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. Then they're going to f- turn around and go through Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, back here, and then they're going to take the the ship here over to Antioch. So that's the first missionary journey. Paul started it probably about 40, mid-40s. It was 10 years of of missionary journeys until he went to Rome. So a good segment of Paul's life right now is 10 years on missionary journeys. Now, it's interesting to me, and I'm going to try and do this as best I can, as far as what's going on that we don't read in the book of Acts. One of the things that's probably taking place during this first missionary journey is that Paul meets Timothy, his grandmother Lois, and his, and his mother Eunice. Now, what Paul said to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy 1.5, he said, When I call to remembrance, as he wrote a letter to his, his young disciple Timothy, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, 
which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, a godly heritage. Moms, you are leaving a godly heritage. And Timothy, I believe Paul probably had some contact with in this first missionary journey. The beginning of the second one, Acts 16, we read, he came to Derbe and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. So he was, his mom and dad were, was a Gentile and Jew, Mary. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. So he meets in second uh, missionary journey, we're gonna, he's going to come on the scene. But I think during this first one is when Paul probably had the first contact with him. Okay? So Acts 14.1, at Iconium. It, came to, it happened that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and the Greeks, believed. So modus operandi, as Paul went and as the others went, what they did is they went into the synagogues and there they, found, they, had a, they had a platform to talk about Jesus in these Jewish synagogues. So the service within a synagogue began with the reading of the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They'd read that. That's the first part of, this, of the service. So if you can picture our service, we have a you know, worship, we have announcements, we go back to worship, we get in the word. They had the same thing, a very structured service. So they had the Shema, they read that. Then they had liturgy which would be 18 blessings, and then the prayers of the synagogue. That's the second part of it. Third, they'd have the reading of the law, the Torah, and the prophets. So this is the same thing that we read about when Jesus went into the synagogue in his hometown. They handed him the, the scroll, and he read it. That would have been at this third part, the reading of the law and the prophets. Remember, Jesus read that, then he said, Verily I say unto you, today this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. Now all the eyes were locked on Jesus in the synagogue. The final fourth part of the synagogue service was called the free address when competent Jews in attendance were allowed to speak. So they sit in chapter 13, do you have anything to say? Well, say on. Well, Paul said, I'll say on, and they gave him a Bible study, basically, in the synagogue. So as they went into the synagogues, they had this free address time when they could speak. So two things that, that from this whole synagogue, that how Paul uh, operated he worked within the system that was in place. And we are to be wise in doing the same. We're not be disrupting the thing, but they worked within the system that was in place, in this case, the synagogue. But secondly, they looked for opportunities to further the gospel. And we are commissioned to do the same. So whatever that system might be, maybe it's your workplace, you should be the hardest worker in that workplace. You should be doing your job. They're not paying you to go speak to people about Jesus. They're paying you to do your job. Now, I have found in my own experience that as I work hard, opportunities open for me. In fact, when I was in Centralia, uh, I was there for about two and a half years. We were planting Calvary down there. When I was there, I was hired by a family to work for them doing carpentry. And I did that. And at one point, the family actually stopped me and said, stop working and come and tell us about Jesus. I said, happy to do that. And so I believe that as we work hard and we're example and doing our jobs and being the best that we can at that, that God opens opportunities. Work within the system, but then look for opportunities to share the gospel. Now, on this first missionary journey, good things were happening and bad things were happening. There was receptivity to the gospel and there was violent opposition to the gospel. There were miraculous supernatural healings. We'll get one today. And there were evil, supernatural, demonic manifestations. People were getting saved. And people were, were wanting to kill anybody that would even dare to say that Jesus is the Savior. So the testimony of the whole book of Acts is in fact this. There, were bad, there was badness, violence, evil, rejection, and persecution. But it never stopped the church. Don't stop. In fact, it was just the opposite. These things further encouraged and emboldened them in praying, in preaching, in getting out there with the gospel, in, sell, in, in, in sending out believers to preach the gospel. It furthered that, as we've already read. They would pray and say, Lord, thank you that we're able to suffer for your name's sake. Now give us boldness so we can go out and preach the gospel. And so the things, there are four thoughts I want to give you this morning from this passage that I think is, will be helpful, I hope will be helpful. How do we do that? 
How do we do that? How do we go out in the midst of persecution, bad things, evil things? And so the first one that I'll share with you is don't stop looking up. Can I hear an amen? Don't start, stop looking up. Notice in verse two, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore, they stayed there a long time. Now, you would think, well, they poisoned their minds. I'm out of here, Jack. <laughs> no, therefore, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord. Now, notice, in the Lord, comma, who, the Lord, was bearing witness to the word of his grace and granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. In other words, God's the one using them to testify of the grace of God. God's the one using them to do these miraculous things. So know this, we gotta keep looking up. It's God who wants to work through us by our hands to do this, the things that he wants to accomplish in and through our lives. And I say, Lord, help me to keep looking up to you. God can use a donkey, he can use us. He wants to use us. So I say, don't stop looking up. Now, people are gonna do what they do. They are going to poison minds against you. They're gonna reject you at times. They're gonna assassinate your character. They're gonna slander you at times and speak ill of you. But listen, people are gonna do what they're gonna do, but God wants to do what he wants to do. And thus for our, he wants to do it by our hands. Therefore, I say, stay there. As, long as God has put you, stay there. I say to you, stay there and speak boldly as God gives you opportunity. Stay there, speak. For the Lord as often as possible. When people begin slinging mud, live in such a way to make sure it doesn't stick. Jesus said, Matthew 5, 11, blessed are you. Really? Oh, how happy are you? Really? When they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you, listen, for my name's sake. There are a lot of things we can get persecuted that have nothing to do with Jesus. We can have an arrogant attitude. That doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. We're not trying to have people hate us. We're trying to have God love them. And so he said, oh, I'm happy when you're persecuted. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Really? Why? For great is your reward in heaven. We got to keep looking up. Don't stop looking up. We're, the things that are going on in our lives are God's means of rewarding our faithfulness to him. So they, because they, that's how they did, that's what they did to the prophets before you. He said, let your light so shine before men that they, when they see your what? Good works. I believe that that is so central to how we operate. It's good works. It's doing the things that are good. We're to overcome evil with good. So God has called us to be doing good works as a witness, a testimony, a light, the salt into the world in which we're going. So I say, don't stop looking up and keep at it. Keep going with good works. Peter said this, 1 Peter 2.11, Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. And the flesh will war against our desires. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good works, which they will observe them and glorify God in the day of visitation. God will be vindicated. When Jesus returns, let me tell you, everything's gonna be understood for exactly what was going on. And as we're doing good works, as we're going out there for Jesus Christ, we are right in doing that and staying faithful to it. Again, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But, what's the antidote? Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Don't stop looking up. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. In other words, don't let it stick. Don't let it be the truth, whatever they want to say. Notice verse 4, Acts chapter 14. But the multitude of the city was divided, part-sided with the Jews, part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, verse 6, 
they became aware of it and fled. That's just smart. <laughs> That's just smart. So they are aware of this thing and they realize, hey, we gotta, there are times when God moves us along in different ways. And some of the time, it's because we're, we need to be out of there. I think of uh, Paul the Apostle or Saul of Tarsus. He gets saved and he's saying, hey, if people can just hear my testimony, surely they come, come to Jesus. They know I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. They knew how I was persecuting the church. So if I can just speak to my brethren the Jews, I know they're going to get saved. You know what Jesus said to him? You better get out of there because they're going to kill you. And he had to flee. And he was saying no. And Paul went through a lot of persecution from the very ones he thought would understand. They didn't understand that. So here they're fleeing to Lystra and Derbe, cities in Lyconia. Remember the map? And, the, and to the surrounding regions. And notice they were preaching the gospel there. In other words, as we've been saying, wherever God sends us, however he gets us there, what needs to be prayerfully on our hearts and minds is how am I going to be an instrument for God to reach people with the gospel? And that's the challenge to the book of Acts, I believe, for us as believers. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing what? By the word of God. So we, how are they going to hear unless a preacher is sent? And we're the preachers. I like what Paul wrote to Timothy, his second letter, which was probably his final letter before his soon death. So it's kind of his final words to Timothy. Now, Timothy was his son in the faith. Timothy was one that he traveled with. Timothy was one that he, he, actually, he, he uh, what's the word I want? Invested a lot of time, a lot of energy with this young man. He wrote this, I charge you, therefore, before the God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing. He's saying to Timothy, I'm gonna charge you with this because Jesus is coming. There will be judgment coming. What did he say to him? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. He's saying, Timothy, you stay at it. Don't stop. You preach the word. Whether you feel like it or not, you preach the word. Having that on his heart and mind to always be that is what, what people need. He said, for the time will come well, they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. That's the world that we're in. The world doesn't want to hear the truth many times. But Paul saying to me, you stay at it. You preach the word, you speak the truth, you tell them over and over and over again, but you, he said, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, that's what's happening, do the work of an evangelist. Now that strikes me. I am not called to the office of an evangelist. I believe there are some that, that are. But Paul told Timothy, who I believe was a pastor, teacher, he said, Timothy, you do the work of an evangelist. What is the work of an evangelist? Tell him about Jesus. He said, you do the work. Now, that is work. You do the work of an evangelist. We are called, all of us, as evangels. We are to be taking the gospel out. That's the challenge. That's the great commission. So, notice in Acts, if I can get you back to Acts 13 a moment, verse 50. But the Jews stirred up devout and prominent women, and the chief men of the city raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and notice what happened for them, and expelled them from their region. They just, you're out of here, is what they're saying. But notice verse 51. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. In other words, they said, okay, then we're going to let that go. We're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're not going to stop looking up. God knows what's going on. We're, gonna, that, that's not gonna, we're gonna move on and we're going to preach the gospel. And I say, let's get out there and do the work of an evangelist, brothers and sisters. Until God is finished with us, we are indestructible. Now think about that a moment. Until God is done with you, you're indestructible. That doesn't mean we get a little thing that has an S on our chest and, yeah. No, our fortress is in Christ. And until God is done with us, nobody can be doing away with us. Whether they expel us, reject us, whatever it is. If God is still working, if we're still alive, then God's still got some plans for us. He's not finished with us. And listen, not a soul on the earth or a demonic being in the invisible realms of the spirit has any power to ever finish us off until God says so. The Bible says number our days. Why should we do that? Because God has numbered our days. He knows the exact moment when we will be done. Until that, 
I say, hey, let's number our days and realize whatever it is, it's finite. It's finite. And wise are those who win souls. The only thing that we can take with us are the souls of people. And so let's do the work of an evangelist. Let's not stop doing the work of an evangelist. You know, when I think of my prodigal living, my years away from the Lord, there were several times when I should have been dead. And God kept me. And I look back on that and go, and, and you know, it, it encouraged me with my son Marcus. God's not done with him yet. God's not done with that man yet. I was talking to a brother before first service who was telling me his story. And he, the same. And many of you probably have the same kind of story. There should have been many times when you were dead. And I, and, but God's not done with us yet. And the fact that we're sitting here together says to me, hey, we're indestructible until God's done. Just like these guys found out. And we're going to see with Paul here pretty radically. So don't stop looking up. Look at verse 8. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. Picture. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed. So Paul was given sort of this this on-the-spot divine certainty about this man being healed. That's keeping your eyes on heaven. God can give us some insights and discernment and in, into things. We got to, don't stop looking up. God's our, God's our source. And so what did he do? He said with a loud voice, stand up on your feet, and he leaped and walked. Divine miracle. It took place. Here's my second thought for you. Beginning verse 11. Don't stop crying out. Don't stop crying out. Talk, I want to talk to you about what I mean by that. Notice verse 11. A delirious multitude. Got this miracle, and now this multitude that's delirious. But they're delirious for all the wrong reasons. Now, when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Now, we all would like, whoa, when people, oh, man, you must, you're just like God. That can start to stir up some dangerous things. And Barnabas they call Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Now, it's said that Zeus was taller, and so Barnabas must have been taller than Paul, which I believe is the case, because as far as my understanding of Paul, he was a wee little man, and I like that. I probably would have been eyeball to eyeball with him. It would have been great. (laughs) But then Barnabas was taller, and Paul was the speaker. So he becomes, in in what they're saying, Paul. Now, um, the legend has it thus. These two gods once came disguised as mortal beings seeking lodging. So they disguised themselves, they're gods, but they came as mortals. Though they asked a thousand homes, none of them took, took them in. Finally, at a humble cottage of straw and reeds, an elderly couple, Philemon and Bossus, freely welcomed them with a banquet that strained their poor resources. In appreciation, the gods transformed the cottage into a temple with a golden roof and marble columns. Philemon and Bossus, they appointed priest and priestess of the temple, who, instead of dying, became an oak and a linden tree. How would you like to die and become a tree? When we were in Nepal, idolatry all over the place. This one tree was this certain god of theirs. And they had great, they had like this, the grate that, where all the water went down. That was another god. And, the, and there, was a, there was a stone that was a god. All over the place. Just multiple gods. But we know the Bible says they can't help you at all. And that's what's going on here. So, as for the inhospitable people, you know what they did? They destroyed their houses. So, the people at Lystra, in seeing the healing of the lame man, thinking they're the gods, they want to pay homage to them lest their houses would be destroyed too. They want to really make sure, okay, hold on a second. These must be the gods and we don't want to make the same mistake. Notice verse 14. But when the apostle Apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this. They tore their clothes, ran in among the multitude, crying out, don't stop crying out, and saying, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good. There's good again. God did good. How? He goes, he gave us rain from heaven, fruitful season, filled our hearts with food and gladness. God, even to the unrepentant sinner, is good. And he's saying, this is the God. In other words, here's the thing. Cry, our lives should be lived in such a way that they cry out 
of our humanity. We are not gods. And I think that is a freeing thing in the world in which we live. We're not to be idolized. We're not to be on a pedestal. We're not gods. Can I hear an amen? We're not gods. We're not Hermes, Zeus. We're not gods. We are human, fallible people. And I believe in our testimony, that needs to be evident. Not that we're going out sitting like you, but we're living our lives understanding we're no different than you. The only thing that we now have is eternal life because we put our faith in Jesus Christ. We know it's like one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. We're just human, right to the core, the nature like ours. But there is a God who is not human. He is God and he is the only true and living God. He created all things. He is a good God. He's given us rain and food. He's been good to us and blessed us with so many things. And you look at the world in which we live, it's all God's blessings to his creation for our good and our benefit. Oh, I love the idea. With these sayings, he could scarcely restrain them from sacrificing to them. Now, when Captain James Cook, the great English explorer and navigator, sailed into Keolaki Kua. Did I say that right? It's Hawaiian. <laughs> Keolaki Kua Bay in Hawaii. Now that was considered the sacred harbor of Lono. Lono was the fertility god of the Hawaiians. The natives were engaged right then in a festival to Lono. Captain Cook uh, shows up and the natives think he's the god because he's white and all that stuff. So they think Captain Cook is this, this God. So they did oblation to him. They began to worship him, gave him everything his heart desired. He played up to being Lono. When one of the crewmen died, some questioning began as to the immortality. So the questions began to rise. It is said that a native punched him in the gut. He buckled over and groaned. And they said, gods don't groan. And he was killed uh, at, at that time. Now, there was another captain. His name is James T. Kirk of the Starship Enterprise. Remember him? How many of you are Trekkies? All right. You'll remember this then. He was knocked senseless on a planet. He resu it resulted in amnesia. When he awoke in this obelisk, and he comes out of this thing. The natives there, in seeing him come out of this obelisk, conclude that he is the god Kirok. He's lost his, th his, his memory. He doesn't know who he is. So he starts to say, you know, I'm Kirok. I'm Kirok. And he's the god that they're worshiping. But you know what happened? There was one guy there that really didn't think he was the god Kirok. And so he gets into a fight and actually cuts Captain Kirk. And he's bleeding. And you know what they said? Gods don't bleed. May I say to you, we bleed. We bleed. We groan. We moan. We're human. And that is such an important thing to keep on crying out, if you will, to God and living our lives and understanding the grace of God, the mercy of God, that we're no different. And we can, we can meet people right with that. And many times God puts us in connection with people who've been through some of the things we've been through. Sometimes he puts us in connection with people who have been through the things that we've been through. And that's God, that's, as human beings, we need to keep crying out. What are we crying out? We need God, all of us. We need the Lord. And so at some point, Paul and Barnabas could have taken had taken complete advantage of the situation. But instead, they instantly seized the moment. It says they tore their clothes, which is a, which an expression of inner tearing. And they cried out saying, hold on a second. Stop everything. Hold the train. This is not what's going to happen. This needs to stop. We are not gods. And so as they're going in there and they're tearing their clothes, they're crying out, listen, this can't be happening. It can't continue. More important than the outward show of tearing clothes, trying to express the inner grief, is the true sorrow of repentance. Joel the prophet said this to Israel, rend your hearts, not your garments. And that's what we need 
all of us. And that's what the world needs to come to in looking at our life. They need to rend their hearts. We need to rend our hearts, not our garments. He said, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, of great kindness, and, not, and, no, and relents from doing harm. God is looking for the broken, torn heart of a sinner. And that he will bless through repentance. I wrote here, you know, we like the praise of men, but it's so fickle. It's so fickle. Ask any sports star. They're the hero one game, and they're the goat the next game. And that's the fickleness. The same crowd that's saying, your gods, your gods, are going to be stoning him in just a moment. And know this. It's so fleeting, the praise of men. So fleeting. Our pride can get in the way. Our jealousy, our egotism, our popularity can get in the way and begin to build a little pedestal that we kind of like. But watch out because the higher the pedestal, the harder the fall. May God help us to walk humbly with him and understand that we are no different than others. Paul the Apostle said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, Paul said, this is what God did. Because I had received so much from him. He said, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. Now, I believe that Paul wrestled with these things because of his stature and position before coming to know Christ. So he needed some more severe blessings from the Lord in this thorn in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to buffet him. Lest he should be exalted, said it twice. Lest I should be exalted above measure. He said, I know what I wrestle with. And, and we wrestle with the same things, maybe to not the same degrees or for the same reason, but we wrestle with those things. You know, it's not a virtue to want to be liked. That's just normal. We do, but we need to be careful in the things that God's doing in, our, in and through our lives that he gets the glory. So Paul said this, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away. Now, what are your weaknesses? What are the things that you go, I wish I could just not be like that. I wish that wouldn't keep bugging me. I wish I wouldn't keep coming up. Well, Paul said, I was saying three times, Lord, would you take it away from me? It's a painful thing. Whatever it was, we're not sure. But Paul pleaded three times with the Lord to take it away. And I tell you, in my own life, I've pleaded more than three times for some of my own weaknesses, some of my own uh, tendencies and sensitivities and stuff like that. I say, Lord, would you just, and there are times when I, this is the scripture I think of. Okay. But here's what he said. I pleaded, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in what? Weakness. When I am weak, I am strong. That's what Paul said. I glory in these kinds of things. And would to God that we're crying out in all of the weaknesses and all things that we're just humans. And Lord, we need your grace. We need to operate in your grace. He said, therefore, most gladly I will boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure. Pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Keep crying out. Don't stop crying out. Notice verse 14. When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes, ran in, crying out, hold on, we're just like you. No different. Third thought, verses 19 and 20. Don't stop getting back up. Don't stop getting back up. Notice verse 19. The Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. So let me say this, That's verse 20. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. So he, how do you stop a guy like that? You can't stop that. Now, he didn't look very pretty, I'm sure. He refers to this in many of the tribulations that he went through. Stoning, and when he said, I was stoned once, this is what he's talking to, talking about. So Paul is stoned. They think he's dead. You're, you're, you're indestructible to God's done with you. He, I think, I like that he pops up. Hold on a second. What's going on? And walks back into the same city. I mean, that, how do you, st you can't stop someone like that. So listen, don't stop getting back up. The world's going to knock you down. Sin at times is going to knock you down. Trials are going to knock you down. Distress is going to knock you down. Discouragement is going to knock you down. We can get up again because God is the one who lifts us up. The psalmist said, many of the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. God will deliver us. I love what, again, Paul the Apostle to the Corinthians wrote this. Verse 1, verse 8. Chapter 1, verse 8. 
For we do not want to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Paul thought it's over. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. So Paul's just like Abraham. God, he knew, hey, if it's going to be death, it's not the end. But then he says this. Who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us and in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. So keep, don't stop getting back up. God has delivered, will be delivering, and will yet deliver until he's done with us in our lives. Now, the final thought is this. Finish the chapter. Don't stop getting back to church. Don't stop getting back to church. Notice what happens. Verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch. Know this. Paul could have taken a much shorter route to Antioch. If you look at the map, he could have been there a lot quicker. But instead, he went back through these new churches. Why? Because Paul knew how important the church is. Paramount. It's God's institution. So he's going to go back through, notice, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church, every church leadership, and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they believed. Listen. Don't stop getting back to church. You need church, I need church. The church is where disciples are being made. The church is where the souls of the disciples are strengthened. Exhorting, appointing, praying, fasting, commending. It happens in the context of the family of God called the church. Ephesians 4, if you have your Bibles, you want to go there. Ephesians 4, key passage, I just want to read through it. Jesus himself Ephesians 4.11, gave some to be apostles. What do apostles do? They found the church. Some prophets, what do prophets do? They focus the church. Some evangelists, what do evangelists do? They further the church. And some pastors and teachers, what do they do? They feed the church. So God, is, has, as it says there, he's given some to be these positions in the church, offices, if you will. What for? Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. We as in the church are being equipped for ministry, whatever that, wherever that might be. For the edifying of the body of Christ. The church is where we're built up in our faith. Till we all come, what's the purpose? To the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man complete, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why? That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, the cunning craftiness by which they lie and wait to deceive. Out there in that world, they want to deceive you. They want to take you down. The church, when we come in, is where we're built up, we're equipped, we're edified. It's so important. Don't stop coming back to church. But speaking the truth in love, again, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, the body of Christ, from whom the whole body, notice, verse 16, joined and knit together by what? Not some, but every joint supplies, according to the effective work, working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Brothers and sisters, in the Lord, the church is absolutely central to the things that God's doing in our lives and through our lives. It's where we're equipped, we're edified, we're built up, we grow up, we mature. So, look at verse 24. After that, after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. Now, when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. Now, that's the church, but here's their church now. As we're winding up this one-and-a-half-year trip. Verse 26. From there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now, when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them, and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, so they stayed there a long time with the disciples. What's going on here? Well, first of all, you know they didn't have cell phones. They didn't have an internet. So they're gone a year and a half. And these were men who were loved at that church. They had friendships. They had relationships. And so those are the ones who they had spent time with before they left. They had relationship going on. And now they're coming back. Can you imagine the excitement that's going on? 
They're coming back. And then they gather together. And the church is where we hear all that God's doing in and through our lives. And what was going on there. To hear those things. They're the ones that, that you come to and they're eager to know what's going on in your life. That's the church. That's what they call koinonia, fellowship. And I believe that they missed them terribly. And I can relate to that in, in some of the people. Like I thought of, of uh, Jeff and Sarah. Jeff's doing our slides today. You know, they went up to Alaska for 12 years. They came back well, about a year ago or so. And we love having them back. And the Lord directed that whole thing. I think of Stephen and Virginia Augusta, gone three years to New Hope. They come back. It's like they were never gone. That's what happens in the church. It's like, it's like picking up on a relationship that you've had, and you don't see someone for two or three years. And you meet them in the store. You go out, and you just, you just like, you start right where you, where you left off with them. And you're interested. There's an eagerness. There's a love there. There's a unity there. There's the edifying that happens in relationship within their church, a home church. Hebrews chapter 10. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. So we hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering because he who promised is faithful. We're looking up. And let us consider one another to stir up love and good works. There it is again. How are we going to do that? In the church. Consider one Stir up love and good works. Provoke us to those things. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some. And so much more as you see they approach him. So Paul, the writer of Hebrews, I believe it's Paul, but whatever, he say, hey, if these things are going to happen, you can't do it outside of having a home church. Don't forsake the assembly of yourself. Now, I, I always find this fascinating. Verse 26, right after he says that, this, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one, and so much more as you see, they approach it, stay getting together, keep coming back to the church. He says this, for if we sin willfully after we see the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment. I know as a fact, if you get out of fellowship with a home church, it's easier to sin. It's easier. I have found that when people get outside of, of, of a home church, a fellowship of believers, whether it's 10 or 1,000, it doesn't matter. You get outside of that, and it's easy to wander. It's easy to get separated. It's easy to get off course. That's why we need the church. Can I hear an amen? We need one another. As the church. So don't stop getting back to the church. I would add, don't stop getting back to your church. What's your church? What's your home base? I close with a couple thoughts here. As Americans, we are blessed. There are churches on just about every corner. Today, it has become more and more common for Christians to attend two or three churches at a time. I'm not saying that's wrong or right. I think it can be either. America, though, also is a consumer culture. And so there are a ton of churches that people can shop, and they do, to see if what they have there is what I want to buy. Just like we do everything else we want. That's, just our, that's, that's our culture. We're a consumer culture. The sad and, I think, debilitating truth is that underlying that question is often this. What's in it for me? What's the perk for me? Listen, that's not family. I believe that God has a home church for every believer. Someplace he would have you settle in and be a part of that family. I also believe that God wants things done excellently. And so as we're doing what we do, we want to do it excellently. We want it to be attractive for sure. In fact, it's interesting to me when the Queen of Sheba went down to hear the wisdom of Solomon. As she's leaving, what it says is she saw the wisdom of Solomon in his, what I call his presentation. How his, how his servants were dressed, how the table was set, how the buildings were built, how their paths were manicured. She saw, she saw the wisdom. There is wisdom in doing things excellently because we do want people who don't know Christ to come and want to come back. So we're preparing and we do, I think that's all really important. But it's very important, more, more important in this visible excellence to keep in mind that when God speaks the health of his church, it's in the context of each member of the body doing its share. That's a maturing, healthy church. And I'm thankful. I believe we have a maturing, healthy church. But I also want to say in the context of this passage and the thing on my heart, 
is that we all have to understand we have a place in which God wants us to give. To add our part to the functioning of the body. Each member does its share. And so I don't know if you're, what your connection is right now within Calvary Chapel South, if you consider this your home church. But I will say to you, there's nothing more mature than serving. There's nothing that causes more growth than giving of what we have and allowing the Lord then to take it, break it, and make it even more fruitful in our lives. So the maturing church is not self-centered. We're Christ-centered. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. The church is to pray, to love, to be hospitable, to serve. And all these things and many more are not about what should be done for me, but rather what I am to do for Christ as a member of the body. And so I would leave that thought with you today as we talk about don't stop getting back to church. And that means involvement. It means the giving of your gifts and talents. Keep getting back to God. So here are the four things on my heart. Don't stop looking up. Don't stop crying. How do we not stop? Don't stop these things. Keep on going. Don't stop getting back up. And don't stop getting back to church. In fact, the fifth one I would say is don't stop getting back to your church. And it's a, it's a, it's a fact. You start getting away from attending church regularly. In fact, one of the facts, it is clear that as a, let me speak to you dads, you get your family to church every week. It makes a significant difference in what does happen with your children. It's not saying they're not going to go wayward, but it gives them a, a, a fighting chance above those that are, 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 I mean, our kids will follow our pattern, our example. And I believe with all my heart, now, I have to be here. I'm the pastor. Okay, I get that. <laughs> in fact, we're far from a perfect church. You know why? Because I attend. And so this isn't a perfect church. But listen, get back to your church. Realize that is so significant, not only in the growth of Calvary Chapel South, but because of your involvement, your growth, your maturing, your security, your, your witness in the world. And I'm going on here. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you again. You've called us to this great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Someone has said, do it, if necessary, use words. Someone else said, by all, by all means, use words, whatever that might be, Lord. I'm just lifting my hands. We're lifting our hearts to you, Lord, and saying, please, as we're going through the book of Acts, this whole challenge to us, this whole courageousness that we desire, not only to be doing, but to seeing our lives as your witnesses seeing every day as an opportunity you've given us in sending us out into a world that needs Jesus. And as we're praying, brothers and sisters, if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ today, every time we, we preach the word here, we're going to give an opportunity. And maybe you've been here before. Maybe you've heard the call of the Holy Spirit that you're trying to sort of... <laughs> push down a little bit, but there's this uneasiness in your heart. And you're not right with God today, and you know that. The Holy Spirit is faithful. He loves you. And we're praying. If that's you today, we've been praying for you. Maybe not by name, but certainly for you who attend. That God loves you. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. And through Jesus Christ, God has satisfied the justice needed for the sinner. He satisfied the wrath that would be poured out on sin by pouring out on his own son on the cross. So Jesus died in your place to pay your sin, the penalty for your sin. And God now says to you, that's been taken care of. Your sin can be forgiven. You can be washed from all your sin. Your past can be put behind you. You can be right with me. God would say that. You can be right with me. But you must make that choice. By not making the choice, you're staying with the choice you've already made. And that's why it's such an important decision. So there's three things I'm gonna ask of you today. Number one, to put your hand up and to keep that up for a moment so I can acknowledge it. I wanna say yes to Jesus today. Second, I'm gonna ask you to stand up in obedience to Jesus in confessing that you wanna know and follow him. And when you do that in obedience to God, let me say to you, all the fears, all the, all the anxieties you have, all those doubts, all that disobedience will be washed away because now you've been obedient to God that you've known in your heart you need to do it. And I remember the day when I was at that place. And then I'm gonna ask you just to walk up to one of the tables. 
where those who are there will walk with you in this whole path of salvation, beginning with your repentance and confession and asking God to forgive you and fill you with the Spirit, and you will leave this building today a whole new creation in Christ. So as we're praying, brothers and sisters, in the Lord, in the room right now, there's a battle going on for souls. There is a battle that goes on. We're praying. So if that's you and you want to say yes to Jesus, you want to get right with God, just put your hand up and please keep that up so I can see it. Okay, okay I see that hand there. God bless you. Anyone else? And we're praying in ways so significant. Eternal transaction taking place right now in your heart between you and God. Anyone else? Just raise your hand so I can see that. God bless you, sister, back there. Would you stand before the Lord right now? Well, that's, you were just praising. You were praying. Okay. Now, as we're going to go into this final song, while we're singing the song or afterwards, again, there is nothing more powerful than prayer. We believe that with all of our hearts. So if you have something on your heart today you want prayer for, maybe for yourself, for a friend, a family member, maybe a circumstance. If you, you can do it during the song as we're singing or afterwards, just make your way to the tables and then those people there will pray for you. Our brothers and sisters will pray for you and they'll also pray for you this week about that matter that's on your heart. So let's, as this worship song is sung, at some point just stand before the Lord in thanksgiving or whatever it might be for you. Maybe it's a prayer in your heart as we worship in together and then I'll, we'll come and, and close in prayer. Okay, let's do it.